Hi, Steve Arterburn here, and welcome to the New Life Live podcast. We hope to provide help and hope in your life through God's Word, counselors, and psychologists as we answer questions from listeners who call with the challenges of life. Let's go to today's episode. Hello, everybody. I'm so glad that you joined us today. And joining me today is Mark Cameron and Dr. Alice Benton. And you know, I'm so grateful for our co-hosts and uh, the wisdom that they bring to the show. Today, we're going to hear from you, Alice. What do you have for our listeners today? Well, I was asked recently, how should we decide when to address our children's shortcomings? How do we pick our battles? And are there things that we should just let go, turn a blind eye to? So I really had to put some thought to the question. And first and foremost, we parents had better be doing our own cleanup work because our children sniff out hypocrisy so quickly. So we have a better footing if we're open, that we're also imperfect and we're working on things and that we share that journey with our kids paves a smoother path to be able to address their shortcomings. And I think generally, I want to address as few shortcomings as I possibly can because we parents already have to correct so much and say no so frequently. So the less I can do, the better. How can I spread that responsibility out? So here's how I decide. If it's a moral or ethical issue, I have to address it, even if it's small. My children have fallen into saying, oh my God, and not in a prayerful way. <laughs> and for me, that's a moral issue. And so it's small, but it's important. And so I address that with them. If it's a legal issue, I got to address it. And if their shortcoming is spilling over onto me or to others around us, and it's becoming burdensome for me, I, I get drained easily. And so I need to address that so that I can keep jet, keep uh, protecting my energy and loving them well. But these are the, are the things I do not address. Uh, I've got to think about whether or not I'm exasperating my children because correcting can so easily turn into nagging and God warns us away from that. Be careful. Do not exasperate your children. Can I allow others to address it? If that's a coach's issue, I want to keep my mouth shut then. Let the coach do it. Let the, let the teacher address it if at all possible. Uh, and then is it something that's not moral or ethical? It's just bothersome to me, but I, I, it's not really meaningful. For instance, um, my, my child's um, fashion, <laughs> if it's not a moral issue, I may not like it, but I don't have to say anything about that. I may not like their haircut, but I don't have to address that one. I got to pick my battles so that the things that I do address, I want to try to make sure my children will be better, opener, more open listeners to me about. Mm. Well, you know, that goes right along with Jim's book. Even, even I know you're talking about younger ages. But it, as you train them up and then you release them into the world, it also is that same conversation, right, Alice? It's like, pick your battles. Like, how are you going to stay in relationship with them? And I think that that is the challenge all the time. The other thing I, I read somewhere, I don't remember who said this, but um, they said, when your children see you, do they see the delight in your eyes mm -hmm. when they encounter you? Or do they see that reprimand like you're talking about, Alice? It really is pick your battles. You are training them, but there is a lot of love that has to go into that. Right. So you need to have that balance. You need to have the times that you're building them up as well as the times that you're doing correcting because rules without um, relationship, relationship lead to, thank mm -hmm. you, lead to rebellion. And so, and I love what you said though there, Alice, it's about modeling. Are we doing our own work more? You know, this is a popular saying, more is caught than taught, yes. but it's, it's a popular Ooh. saying because it's absolutely true. Um, and another thing I think I would add in here too is, yeah, maybe there are things to address, but sometimes you don't have to give the ticket in the moment. Mm -hmm. You can wait until the end of the day and say, hey, can we sit down and chat? 
here are some things that I've noticed. And so you kind of save them up, not to whack them over the head, but just to kind of reduce the frequency. And again, model that with them. Hey, what if, what are some things that you've noticed in me yes. that you don't like that I might be able That's to cool. fix? Yep. That'll it's go a long such, way. Yeah, it's so powerful. You know, I think of Mylon and Kay Yurkovich's book, How We Love Our Kids. That can be a great primer for what we're talking about here. It's not rules, and rela- it's not rules but it is relationship. And it's understanding how powerful those connections are. Thanks, Alice, for your wisdom. We're going to take calls right after this break. If you're on the line, hold on. We'll be right with you. Thanks for listening. To find out more information about New Life or to order any of the resources mentioned on today's program, call 1-800-NEW-LIFE. Now back to New Life Live. Welcome back. I was just thinking about what Alice was talking about, and, you know, it's convicting. My my kids are adults, and, you know, I think back. Uh, so if you're a young parent, just know that we get that you're doing the best that you can, but I want to help you too. So I love what you're saying, Allison, mm-hmm. and I hope that it encourages somebody today. We're going to go to the calls, and we're going to talk with Leslie, who's calling us from Sale E., Arizona. Listen on Sirius XM. Hello, Leslie. Thanks for calling. How can we help you today? Hi. So my uh, so my question or my situation is that I'm in a marriage of 38 years, and um, and we I have eight children. I have 17 grandchildren out of that wow. marriage. That's and awesome. So. Unfortunately, um, since my second year into this marriage, my husband has been unfaithful. And as a matter of fact, um, you know, after 25 affairs, I lost count. And it's just like constant forgiving, forgiving. So um, thank God, you know, he... He, he he taught me forgiveness, you know. It's like, and um, I just feel like it's just been taken for granted this whole time. But, you know, it's like that is something that we are taught, you know. And um, so I, I love my husband. I really do. Um, and I know there's nobody nobody else that would have the, the you know, uh, the compassion and the love that I have for him. However, you know, like he gets lost in the lusts of the world, you know, it's like, and, and of course everybody, you know, these people out there, they have sweet words, you know, anything to so, you and everything. So, so Leslie, how can we best help you uh-huh. today? So I just wanted to know, okay, so where do I go from here? Because right now it's like I have, I, I can say that I reared all my kids. My youngest is 18 now. And I'm like, what do I, what can I do, you know, at this point? Did you just find out about another, another, did you just find out about another affair, Leslie? Well, this affair has been like, it's going on 10 years. He's been with um, another lady prior to this for 30 years. So it's like, and there's, there's just many. And this one, he has a new, a new child with this uh, lady that he's, and he's just in total denial. He can never come forward and confess anything. And I'm just like, just make it easy for me. You know, it's like, just say, I'm going to work. I'm going to have lunch with her. I'm going to, you know, it's like, help me. Leslie. <laughs> help me help you. 
Yeah. Leslie, my heart breaks for you that you are in such a relationship like this. Um, and, and just the way that you speak about this in just such a calm way. I used the term on the last show about gently confronting it. And I want to gently confront you that I, I think you are minimizing the impact of this on you. I know that you're saying that it's hurtful and that you love your husband, but he doesn't demonstrate love for you at all. He, he's not committed to no. you. He's not faithful to you. Um, he's been unfaithful from what you said from the second year of marriage. Um, and he's had 25 plus affairs. I mean, how many more affairs are you willing to put up with? Well, then, you know, it's like, and I, I just, I, I, I was hoping, you know, like to, to grow old with my husband, you know, and just that, that, that's all, that's been my, my hope. And unfortunately that's not going to happen. So at this point, Leslie, sister, I think you are trapped in a cycle of Mm -hmm. chronic, maybe obsessive forgiveness and when forgiveness is on its own without consequences and without safety and expectations and protection, you, you are being re-abused every time he engages and he keeps engaging with his affair partners. I, I want to siphon off some of my anger that's bubbling in me and pass it over to you. I want you to have a holy anger, a turning the tables over in the temple kind of anger because you have mercy. You have forgiveness, girl. You have boatloads of it. But I want anger for you so that you get protection from this man trampling your heart over and over again. And I, and I wonder how it affects you to hear my anger. What's your reaction? Do you want to run from it? Do you get a little bit angry with yeah. me? What happens in your heart? You want to run from it? Yes. So, so, so we got we to gotta look back at something because you saw some scary anger as a little girl that taught you anger is the wrong thing to feel. What happened as a kid? What kind of anger did you face as a child? Um, well, for one, I was raised by my grandmother, and I never had my mom and dad. Aww. So I've always wanted that for my children. Yeah. Mm. So, and um, I always wanted them to always... I mean, now it's a norm, you know, it's like you go to a graduation, like kids are announced, you know, it's like daughter of somebody, you know, so-and-so, and then they're, they're, they're named separately and it's no longer Mr. and Mrs. whoever, you know, it's like... So you, you, you have, you've laid down your life and your heart over and over again so that your children would have a two-parent home. And there's that, that is a noble okay. sacrifice, Leslie, that you have lived out for all these years. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. And I, I, um, and I want to, now it's like my grandchildren. It's like I might want my grandchildren to rise up and call me blessed, you know, it's like that's and they, grandma, and, you know. Well, and Leslie, they likely will, apart from this situation. Here's what I want for you. This is, I mean, this is such a deeply entrenched trauma that you've experienced for this whole 38 years of marriage mm-hmm. and raising children and now grandchildren. And it's, it's not as easy as, okay, we're just going to stop. He's got another family that he has. Mm-hmm. His, 
his long affairs are like other wives. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. it's not the same as, you know, when we help women with one night stands or repeated affairs. There's so much trauma that comes into that. This is what I would love for you to do. I would love for you to join us at the Restore Intensive mm-hmm. in February in Southern California. It's a weekend that could begin your healing and begin to kind of answer some of the questions that are keeping you in this cycle of forgiveness. You know, like Alice was talking about, you know, forgiveness is for us. It's not for the other person. It's for us to not have that resentment and that bitterness. But what has happened is your forgiveness is so that your marriage doesn't fall apart. Like he hasn't changed anything. Nothing has changed for him. And you, and and what has happened is your heart has become broken over and over again. This is not your fault, Leslie. It, I think it was pretty insightful when you could make the connection that you were raised by your grandmother mm-hmm. and your goal was that you would have an intact family. And the grief that has come, because that's not, you know, the, yes, you're together, but, you know, it's not inside of his heart. But I think that that would be the next step for you that could get you started on this healing journey that's going to take a while. And we we want you to start slow because I would guess that confronting your husband in bigger ways than you already have done, uh, you think you'll lose the relationship. He'll run if you take too hard of a stance. And so what, what we can do in Restore, what we can do for you in counseling is to build your strength up little by little and to strategize how to start taking stronger stances on smaller things so that you can then build up that courage and ability to better safeguard your marriage. And Leslie, I want to give you hope that when we see women do this, when they get assertive and strong, it often actually generates a respect in their husband who did not respect his wife for all those years when she was so forgiving. It can be a surprising response. Now, there is a risk to boundaries. There always is because sometimes relationships are lost when you draw the line in the sand. But you don't have to do that tomorrow. But let us help start building the muscle so you can really figure out what am I willing to put up with. Yeah, we're And Leslie, I I just also want to give you a little bit of clarification, too, around forgiveness. Forgiveness is a wonderful thing, but forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. It doesn't mean that you stay in relationship with somebody. And I think you've actually used forgiveness as your own self-protective strategy against fear of abandonment. If I can forgive you, then you'll stay and you won't leave me. But he's left you multiple times over and over again. And and you don't even know everything. You know, you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier on that he's still gaslighting you. Why doesn't he just come clean? Why doesn't he just tell you? If he told you really, he may have more children that right, you don't even right. know about. And so I'm going to say something that might be a little bit shocking to you. I think that you need to leave. I think that you need to draw that line in the sand and say, until you can come clean and tell me everything, you need to move out. And and while you're you're thinking you're protecting your your marriage for the sake of your children and grandchildren, infidelity is a poison mm-hmm. that seeps down to the next generation when it's tolerated mm-hmm. and it's not confronted. The children of that infidelity, your children, they are more likely to either be unfaithful or to pick spouses who will be unfaithful and mm-hmm. to allow that to happen. And so you you think you're protecting your children in a sense you are, but in another sense you're you're allowing them to be affected whether or not you think they know about because, it. Because because it's what we started the show about it's about modeling you're either modeling put up with this or your husband is modeling 
it's okay to do this. Yeah. And that's what Alice we, is saying. And we cover all of this at Restore, Leslie, so that you can have some insight and you'll have a group of women who can carry this burden with you that have experienced that and great counseling. Uh, you know, we this isn't the first time we've heard this mm-hmm. problem mm-hmm. and unfortunately it won't be the last one. I'm going to send you a copy of uh, Dr. Sherry Keffer's book, mm-hmm. Intimate Deception, Healing the Wounds of Sexual Betrayal, which I think will um, uh, help you get a little bit of a start on what the healing process looks for you. And today's the last day for an early bird rate for a restore. So um, if you are hearing Leslie's um, call and you're thinking, you know what, that is my story as well. We invite you to join us at restore. It It's so amazing to hear the women who say, I didn't realize that I was not the only one. And which is shocking, but it's true. Mm-hmm. We're so sorry, Leslie, that you're going through this, but we want to get you connected with a counselor. Hope that you'll see us uh, at Restore. We're, thank you so much for calling. We're going to go to our next call. We're going to talk with Kathy, who's calling us from Frederick, Maryland, listens on WAVA. <laughs> Thanks for calling, Kathy. Yes, hi. And I'm your sorry. dog. Yes. Okay. Well, let me give you just a little bit of background information. Um, I have tinnitus really bad. I just got it a couple months ago, and I have insomnia. I'm not sleeping more than, like, three hours a night, four hours, even with um, Ambien, using a sleeping pill. Anyway, it was suggested at an audiologist appointment that I went to recently that I engage in cognitive behavior therapy um, with a specialist... um, I guess it's called CBTI that that Mm -hmm. I guess focuses on insomnia. So I was just calling to see what you all think about CBT as far as, um, you know, Christians are concerned. Well, I love that question, Kathy, and I love that your audiologist was insightful enough Mm -hmm. to know that sometimes our physical ailments uh, can be helped through psychological interventions. uh, Alice, why don't you just talk a little bit, because we're going to come up against a break here, mm-hmm. Kathy, in just a second. But Alice, just describe what CBTI or CBT is so that the listeners will know what we're talking about. Well, when, when we deal with a chronic illness like you are, Kathy, uh, there, it, there's a, a, an effect on the mental health where it's so likely to have increased depression and anxiety. And the stress affects both sides of things. So it becomes a vicious cycle of your mood being negatively impacted by the, what you're dealing with. And then when we have high anxiety and high depression, physical symptoms tend to be worse. There can also be surprising psychological roots to the physical symptoms that you're experiencing. And so cognitive behavioral therapy helps you to identify the ways that you think about yourself and the symptoms you experience, which most of us get into negative loops and we get stuck in that and it makes everything worse. Cognitive behavioral therapy helps Helps us to challenge and to replace those with more adaptive ways of thinking and behaving to better care for your body with all the stress that you're under. That's so true. Well, Kathy, hold on. You can keep walking the dog, but we're going to come back after this break and um, follow up. We'll hear from Mark um, and just you know the possibilities of how CBTI could help in this situation. Uh, You know, it's good to understand what's out there as far as treatment options and the types of therapy that's available um, because there's not one size fits all. And, you know, the truth is there's not one size fits all in clothing, therapy, food choices, cars, whatever. We'll be right back after this. (laughs) 
We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question or a comment, call toll-free 1-800-229-3000. Now back to New Life Live. Welcome back. We are talking with Kathy as she's walking the dog and um, yeah. talking about how do how does uh, physical issue and psychological help uh, connect. And I loved, I said this before, I love that your audiologist thought enough mm-hmm. that, you know what, maybe some counseling. And Alice, even your insight um, about how physical things impact mm-hmm. us uh, psychologically, emotionally, and um, the power of cognitive behavioral therapy in all of its forms is literally, what are you telling yourself? Mm-hmm. What are you thinking about when you're thinking? Alice? You asked about this for a Christian in particular. And, and I like that, that you're discerning of mm-hmm. what forms of therapy are biblically sound. So I want to give you Romans twelve two: Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what good CBT does. It helps to renew your mind and to take us all out of our deceptive ways of thinking and root us in, hopefully, good biblical truth about how we should think about ourselves and how we should care for our body and our mind. Mark, what would you offer? Yeah, and just kind of from that lens too about, uh, you know, is this, does this align with biblical values? Yeah, I think CBT shines a light on how we work as human beings. Not, I don't think it's the complete picture of how we work, but it, it's built upon the cognitive triangle um, of emotions, thoughts, and feelings, or, or, uh, or emotions, thoughts, and behaviors, mm-hmm. sorry, all being like one point of the triangle. And, and the theory behind it is, is that each of those points can impact the other. Mm-hmm. If you change your behavior, you can change the way that you feel about it. You can change your thoughts. If you change your thoughts, you can change how you feel and you can change your behavior. So it's part of how we work. And lots of people find it effective for them, especially people who have high anxiety. It, it, it can give you great tools to learn how to capture thoughts and then renew your mind or challenge yourself to behavioral experiments to to prove to yourself that you're not in fear so kathy how does that strike you yeah, that sounds wonderful. Then I'll just keep my appointment because I'm going tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I was, I didn't want to get into something like, you know, like some Middle Eastern kind of, you know, like chanting or anything like that. Yeah. You know, like well, no, we don't chant in cognitive like, behavioral. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I just, um, you know, hope that it, it's successful and that, you know, but I, I think that, with me, the reason why I'm not sleeping though is because of the ringing. So mm-hmm. there is a reason. It's not. I mean, yes, it is a vicious cycle, and I'm on sleeping pills and I'm trying to get off of. But I don't know how I'm going to do it. But um, the ringing is causing well, it. So I know that there is a reason for right. You know, right. And Kathy, tinnitus affects so many Americans, and people think that it's an ear problem, but it's actually a brain problem, which. Your audiologist right, exactly. probably told you about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah. so what happens a lot of times people will dismiss the physical ringing in the ears, thinking that it'll just go away, and then it impacts other ways. And our hearing is so important, whether it's mm-hmm. that internal noise that you're hearing, which can be distressful, and trying to find that relief. 
Alice, you look like you're ready to right. say something again. Well, Kathy, as you're about to go to your first therapy session tomorrow, I hope you really give it a chance. Give it a couple of sessions to see if you can develop relationship with the clinician. Because as we wonder, what form of therapy is best for me? It, it's actually the relationship with the therapist that that determines mm-hmm. how effective the therapy will be. So also be be prepared to shop around. If after a few sessions you find, eh, this is not, that, not quite the, the right fit, then we have a network of counselors who are both Christian and no cognitive behavioral therapy and and other modalities that can serve you with with what you're going through. Well, we're so glad that you called, Kathy, and um, we're going to send you a copy of Take Your Life Back, which can help you with some of the challenges that you may be facing. You know, insomnia can also be um, impactful in our life. Obviously, if you have a bad night's sleep upon a bad night's Mm -hmm. sleep upon a bad night's Hmm. sleep, you're going to be cranky and struggling and all of those things. And so self-care is really important at this time. And uh, we'll be praying, Kathy, that you have what you just said, though, Alice, because so many people think you go into therapy and it's that one and done. Mm-hmm. And it's never mm-hmm. that because a lot of times you feel better because you may have expressed to the counselor all of what's going on inside of you. So it's kind of like throwing up. And, you know, sometimes when you throw up, you feel better, but <laughs> but if you keep eating the same junk, it's going to make you uh-huh. sick again. So I, I always tell people, you know, give it a few, like three visits and be open with your therapist. Like, you know, if it's not working for you or if you're feeling like they're not hearing you, it is so impactful for you to say, listen, I don't know what you're supposed to be doing here, but this isn't working for me. Help me understand what you're talking about. Yes. And if you as a therapist haven't heard that, you better be asking somebody, <laughs> is this helping? Because that happens so many times. People will walk away from therapy and they'll be like, that didn't work and I'm not going back. And we just want people to find that really well, mark. Let, I see. Yeah, let me add this. <laughs> a therapy is a collaboration. So yes. you're working together with your therapist. That's what Alice was saying here about the, th- you know, we call it the therapeutic alliance. How connected are we to the client here? And so at all times, you you know, if you don't know where your therapist is taking you or what's the intervention for, you should be able to say to your therapist, hey, can you explain to me, like, why are we doing this? And they should be able to have a solid answer. You should also be able to say, I'd, can we focus on this and not that? And and your therapist be able to adjust to that if they think that that's appropriate. It's so true. And, you know, as therapists, we are always trying to educate the client for themselves because we know that you're probably not going to be in therapy the rest of your life, like consistently. But if you have a good relationship with a therapist in times where you need, you go back, you do the work, you, you know, it's... It's a, it is a relationship, it, and it can make all the difference. I know I've heard from so many people that, you know, if it weren't for their therapist, who knows where they would be. Mm-hmm. Of course, we always say, who, if it weren't for the Lord, where would we be? And sometimes he works through counselors. <laughs> we'll be back. Today's podcast is brought to you by Club New Life supporters who give a monthly donation because they want to continue to offer help and hope in these very, very difficult places. To find out more about Club New Life, you can go to our website, newlife.com, or call 1-800-NEW-LIFE. Now, if you're new to us, we drop an episode every weekday. We would love it if you would rate or write a review, which helps more people discover help and hope and helps us share wisdom with as many people as possible. Now, let's listen to our counselors as they help people walk through life's hardest places.
glad you joined us for New Life Live. To be a part of the program, call 1-800-229-3000. Now back to New Life Live. I'm Steve Arterburn with a New Life Moment. Finding a way to help others is an expression of faith. It shows that we believe in the sovereignty of God. We don't have to wait until the pain is gone in our life because we know God can use it for good. Finding a way to help others requires that you ask two questions. What is God doing and how can I get into the flow of this activity? When we ask these questions, ideas will come. And once we begin doing this, the why is this happening question, which once seemed so important, it becomes irrelevant. The best answer to why is always what. When we stop asking, why has God allowed this, and begin asking, what does He want me to do with it, we're ready for God to start His work in us. Well, are you ready? Hey, visit newlife.com. I'm Steve Arterburn, and thanks for listening to this New Life Moment. That's so powerful, and I think about, you know, those questions. What is God doing, and how can I join God in what He's doing? And I think about our club, New Life family who have joined in on what God is doing through New Life and all the ways that we are helping people. Uh, Thank you, Club New Lifers. But, you know, if you want to be part of what God is doing, maybe that's one way. If you want to join Club New Life, you can go to newlife.com or call us at 1-800-NEW-LIFE and we'll get you connected there. I I just so appreciate the timeless wisdom of Steve and uh, hearing him speak into the challenges that we have. We're going to go back to the calls. Uh, we're going to talk with David. He's calling us from New York, New York. It's his first time calling. We're so glad that you... David, how can we help you? Hello there. Did we lose? Thanks for oh, there you are. My call. <laughs> uh, glad to hear from you. Yes. So recently my son uh, came out as one of those LGBTs and, uh, yeah, uh, I've been hearing his boyfriend uh, downstairs, and uh, it's, you know, it gets pretty intense. And, you know, I'm not very comfortable with that. And uh, I was wondering what would the Lord do or want me to do? Well, that's a good question, David. How old is your son? Oh, he's 18. Okay. So you you think that they're having sexual encounters in your house, and you're very concerned about it, and wonder how to address that. Yeah, that's it. Oh, David. Because uh, yeah, Tyrone uh, is pretty loud. Well, the challenge here, David, too, is what is the agreement that you have with your son at 18? A lot of times, parents are having the conversation about. What's next? Like, are you moving out? Do you go to school? What are your responsibilities? And I know 18 isn't a a magic number for adulthood, but it's considered generally there are conversations that are having, um, that parents are having. What what is the arrangement for you and your son? Well, as you know, New York is, like, insanely expensive. So, Mm -hmm. I mean... Like I, I'm like I don't like that he's gay. Okay, well, so David, obviously, before we were saying, um, we'll uh, go on beyond that. But you know, Allison, Mark, let's talk about just the challenges of having those 
you know, just differences of opinion with adult children. So I'll take us back to actually looking at what we started at the beginning of the show, because I think it applies for situations like David's, where we have to have standards for our household and what we are and are not willing to allow to have happen in our households. But those rules have to be formed in the depth of love and relationship. And when we're particularly stirred by uh, the choices that our children are making, uh, it, it can be easy to fall into addressing our, our children with um, a great deal of anger or upset or even completely avoiding because we don't know what to do. I, I've talked with a number of families recently, actually, who are dealing with this, how much how much physical affection is even allowed in the home? And do we feel like we parents have a right to say anything about it when we disagree with what our children are doing? Yeah, I think when you, as your kids are approaching 18, I think it's good to have a conversation with them about, how, you know, what they are then legally allowed to do in terms of making their own decisions. I mean, 18... It, it's a legal age that somebody becomes an adult, but it's really kind of a minimum age that the law says a person should be able to to make certain decisions. Now, we know that most 18-year-olds, as David was getting to, it's very expensive to live in the world right now. They, they can't survive um, financially without the support of their parents. And so we get to have rules for our own households. And while they may be able to make certain decisions that that we don't have control over. We can talk about what we allow in our households, and um, and 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 talk about what rules that they agree to follow. And you know, we always yeah, say I to agree. to start with um, relationship. To start with, son, I love you. I care about you. I'm concerned because you're taking a path that uh, you know that I don't agree with. And I'm going to let you know what I allow in my home. Mm. I, I, I'm not going to allow sexual activity in our home for anybody who's not married. And I haven't addressed this before. I think it's been going on and I haven't said anything. So I actually, I think I need to apologize because I've had these thoughts, but I haven't spoken them and I didn't know how to speak them. But I am going to set that standard now. So, son, I need to know if you're willing to abide by that rule within this household. And if you're not, I'll tell you what I will be doing. I, I will come knock on the door if I think it's happening. I will come and interfere because I'm not going to allow that in my home. Um, I'll be kind, but I'm going to be firm. Um, so I need to know if you understand what I'm saying. And you can feel free to tell me your thoughts about it. But, but as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. This is the decision we're deciding to make. Well, and I think some people get stuck, too, because they allow certain behaviors to go on for a while. And then they can get stuck in this thinking of, well, I, you know, I've allowed it, so I can't go back. But we were talking before about the power of a do-over. You are allowed to to say to somebody, hey, I made a mistake. I have allowed this. And upon thinking about it, I've decided that uh, that I got it wrong. And this is what yeah. the new standard is going to be. And that's your prerogative as a parent. That's your prerogative right. of an owner of a house. Right. And regardless of how expensive it is to live anywhere, mm -hmm. If that's your choice, you're free to pay the rent wherever you can go. And it's hard. It's a dis difficult decision. Well, David, we're going to send you a copy of Dr. Jim Burns' 
doing life with your adult children, keeping the welcome mat out and your mouth shut, although in this case it might be the opposite way. You might have to say, you're not welcome <laughs> to live your life that way here if that's going to be a conflict for both of you. But more conversation can be so helpful, and we want to help you do that. So we're glad you called. We're going to go back to the calls, and we're going to talk with Lori, who's calling us from Fresno and listens online. Hi, Lori. How can we help you today? Well, you can help me figure out what God would want me to do with my son and daughter-in-law who have accused my husband of sexually abusing my two-year-old granddaughter. Mm. And the backstory is they have not allowed anyone to babysit the children except me because my daughter-in-law has a history of being abused and nobody believed her. Um, So, and... The abuse that was described by the mouth of a two-year-old was highly anatomically graphic. Mm. Like, most two-year-olds do not know the terminology anus and vagina. Mm. Mm. uh, Lori, were there there charges um, made against your husband, or is it just a conversation with the family right now? Um, it's a conversation that's been happening with the family for a year, and no charges were made. We went straight to the church because um, we are leaders in the church, and we had to get the regional leadership involved. Um, and based on the allegations and everything, they decided there was no action to take. My husband was willing to do a lie detector test, but that doesn't meet the, the only acceptable thing to my children is that they have no contact with my husband, that I don't mention his name, that he's not allowed to drive down their street. Um, Gosh, Lori, that's hard. That's very difficult. Well, you can hear the music, Lori, and we're going to talk with you after this break. It's heartbreaking because it sounds like it's been uh, there's been a distance for over a year where you've had where you're having to balance this. Is that right? That is correct. Okay, all right. But yeah, you get to babysit. You get to be with the child. Do not. I do not get to babysit. Okay. I initially refused to spend time with the children alone because I was afraid I would be accused. Um, Okay. We'll be back right after this break, and we'll address this heartbreaking situation. To find out more information about New Life or to order any of the resources mentioned on today's program, call 1-800-NEW-LIFE. Now back to New Life Live. Welcome back. I, you know, these stories, like Lori's question, are so heartbreaking, and at the same time, we understand that there is history with your daughter-in-law that this, it it happens. We, you know, we know that the pain can start to trigger um, in these next generations, but I think we can help you get forward. Alice, you go ahead and start. Well, Lori, I've been involved in cases where there were both false accusations made 
and maybe it maybe innocently in that they, they suspected and they were just wrong that it was taking place. But but I know that there can be false uh, accusations of sexual abuse. But then certainly, on the other hand, if accusations are made and they're not taken seriously and it's true, the damage is just extensive. So the fact that your husband was willing to take a polygraph, that that's helpful and hopeful. What else has he done and what kind of professionals have been involved over this last year? In addition to the church, we understand you took those steps. Who else has been gotten involved? With the children and my son and his wife, I don't know. Um, we had a face-to-face meeting when this first came out, and I, I was afraid to bring it up to my husband because it was just so shocking. Um, so I brought it up to the pastor, and we, we had a sit-down meeting that we met with um, the parents, and um, that did not go well. My husband said, I looked them straight in the face and said, I'm sorry you think this happened, but I absolutely never touched your child, and I wouldn't. He doesn't even know where the diapers are. And have there have there been counselors? Has Child Protective Services been involved? Has there been an investigation? No. They did not make a report, as far as I know. I mean, it, we haven't been contacted. Did your husband follow through with a polygraph test? No, uh-uh. And so what, what's your question for us? Um, how do I navigate the situation? Like they want me to come over at their house for Christmas. We made other plans for Christmas, and they were really upset. Well, Mom, we always have Christmas together. And I said, well, it's different this year. And, well... That just upset them. and Laurie, um, how does your husband feel yeah. about you going over to their house and seeing them, seeing your granddaughter? It's very hurtful for mm-hmm. him, but he understands that my desire is to express mm-hmm. love to them, even though I think they're nuts, um, mm-hmm. and maintain a relationship in the face of, like, it's super uncomfortable because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, I'm forced to leave him out to be with them um yeah it's i'm be- between a rock and a hard spot and yeah. i wonder too Lori, what does it feel like when you are in their presence are you able to be you or is it like just very false it's not a real connection it's it's hard for me to be me because i'm not allowed to talk about him I'm not supposed to mention his name. So a lot of, you know, what I would talk about in my life involves my husband. And I was like, I didn't go on a vacation without him. We didn't remodel the house alone. Right. So, Lori, as you're even trying to figure out how do I talk with these with my own family and how can I even be around them with my husband? I I think that more needs to be done about the accusations, because I think you and your husband are both believing it's not true. Didn't happen. He didn't abuse her. And yet we don't know why Mm -hmm. the child, the young child, knew these words and made this accusation. Was she coached? we, We don't know. But I think not enough has happened with professional assistance to clarify more and then to give you all guidance about what do you do next. 
text. And so my hope would be that mm-hmm. your husband would arrange for a polygraph test to be taken on him so that he's not just giving the right words, but showing proof. I will do whatever it takes to show you I didn't do this and to prove by my actions that I'm a trustworthy man. I want to be brought back into relationship, even if it seems so far-fetched. If he submitted to weekly counseling and to that polygraph test to build the evidence of his innocence Mm -hmm. that makes it more likely for there to be reconciliation way down the road. But it also, I think, will settle Mm -hmm. your heart. You could get guidance from his counselor. What do I do? How do I talk with them? Because there's this enormous elephant in the room that's just not being discussed anymore, and you you can't live with it that way. Right. Well, and even to your point, Alice, that the grief, Lori that you guys are going through is also part of that processing that you're talking about, Alice. Mark, what would you Yeah, and and just to clarify here, Laurie, the counseling is not going to be based on did I do this it, it it's the counseling is based on the situation that he's in and right. that that's the reason why he's going to see a counselor I, and I agree with Alice I think he submitting to a polygraph test could actually protect him in the future because you it, it's better to have these things done closer to the event than further from the event and that way if their accusations come out even if it doesn't involve the law, but it comes out in the community, he can say, this is what I did to prove that I didn't right. do this. Right. And so that that, you know, may, that may even protect him. What do you guys think? And this is my thought, Lori. What do you guys think about Lori just saying, I'm not going to not talk about my husband. Mm. Like if I am over at your house and I'm talking about my vacation – you know, I mean, that's going to push the envelope a little bit. But Alice, what do you think about I, that? I think I try to take a middle ground. So I might say, you don't want me to talk about him. I'm going to try to respect that as much as possible. But but I can't never talk about him. So I will limit it. But it's certainly going to come out at times. Uh, but I'm going to try, try to abide by what you're doing. I would try to take a middle ground because the, the relationship is so fragile that I would want to protect it, Lori, as much as possible so you ha- continue to have access to your well, family. Yeah, and the other thing is, is it's so unfortunate because you don't want your granddaughter to be punished by mm-hmm. by this chaos mm-hmm. that's going on, you, you know, and so I'm glad that your husband, as hurtful as it is, he understands that at least you're getting to go over right. and have relationship um, with your granddaughter. But yeah, I mean, I, I do agree that there does have to be some kind of boundaries that you may have to set around this because, I mean, they're, they're basically asking you to, when you're over there, to live as if your husband doesn't exist. And, the other part of that... Well, the other part I have for you guys is, you know, what do we do to help somebody who's had this experience? You know, the daughter-in-law has a valid trigger point, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, this has been experienced. How do family members, you know, encourage that they're, like in this case, Lori, your daughter-in-law, to get the help and healing that she needs? Um, I mean, that's pretty slippery slope, but I think it could just be so helpful for her Marker else, would you suggest that Lori offer that? I, I think so, because it's, it's all right to say, gosh, isn't this situation so difficult for all of us? There's so many things we're not talking about. And, and I wouldn't name the husband in this part of the conversation. There are things we're not talking about and we can't talk about. I'm, I'm getting help for it because I'm really struggling to know how to act and what to say and what not to say. And I know you're hurt. And so I, I want to offer that I would help support you in getting 
getting counseling, too, if you would let me, whether you connect her with New Life or like we always say, you offer to pay for the first session or for some of the sessions. Our family has all been hurt and mm-hmm. we all need healing. I want to be part of that. Yeah, I think you also might want to ask them, hey, what's your plan for how we address this? Because mm. we've got the rest of our, our lives here together and it's right. unsustainable to pretend in this way. How do you think that we should address this? This is extreme, but offering to them, if you all want to open up an investigation, Mm -hmm. we think we should. We're considering doing it ourselves. We want to be investigated because if something has happened to our granddaughter, we want the truth to be revealed. Mm -hmm. And so we're ready and willing to collaborate in that. That's that's really good. Lori, I hope something that we've said is encouraging. This is tough. Um, You know, we're going to send her Jim's book too, Doing Life with Your Adult Children. Because these are so many conversations that we have. We, you know, it is always something in relationships, but it is worth doing whatever you can to make it right, to heal that process. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, listeners and callers. Thanks so much for listening. We hope something you heard will help you live in freedom today. If this content was helpful for you, we would love it if you take a minute leave us a review, post about it, and rate it. Remember, we have resources and workshops online for you as you continue your journey. Go to newlife.com and find out more information. And thank you for being part of the New Life community. We know that God desires all of us to live a life of wholeness and healing. And we're so glad that you're here.